Welcome to Credit Union Conversations Podcast with your host, Mark Ritter, a forward-thinking CEO who excels in helping credit unions, small businesses, and real estate investors succeed. Join Mark as he explores current trends, interviews industry experts, and get fresh insights on optimizing your operations and delivering the best possible services to credit union members. Hello, this is Mark Ritter your host of Credit Union Conversations and the CEO of MBFS and New Direction Lending. And thank you for listening and thank you for giving us your time. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and feel free to share this podcast with your friends so they can listen as well. And by your friends, I mean your credit union co-workers and other people you know in the industry. If you, if you give it to uh, your just random friends who, uh, who work at a, who's a school teacher, they'll think you're kind of crazy telling them to listen to this show. But uh, your friends in the business, your friends in the industry, please pass this along and tell them to subscribe. Joining me today is Derek Izovsky the CEO of Outsource Risk Management Solutions. And we're just going to call that ORMS for short. Everybody calls it ORMS. Derek, thank you for joining us. How you doing? I'm doing well. I appreciate uh, having me on. Um, I'm looking forward to catching up. Absolutely. Before we start, I always tell people this is a nice conversational show. I have to say... If we saw each other 30 years from now in a retirement home and haven't seen each other for decades, there's always one memory that I'll have of you. And you know what that is, right? I do. I do. Derek, myself, and our good friend Omar Shute, who used to work at Members First and now works at DFTC, we were walking on the streets of Baltimore from a restaurant, going back to the conference, and out of nowhere, the police surged on a suspect right in front of us, guns blazed, took a suspect to the ground. There was cop cars everywhere. There were guns everywhere. We were certain somebody was getting shot, and it scared the heck out of us. So that was, that was uh, quite a night. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a shooting for the wire. It was, uh, it was pretty crazy. Um, I remember both, all of us, just kind of not knowing what to do at that point. It it looked like something out of a movie. So it mm-hmm. was a crazy night, yeah. but a but a good one nonetheless. So unfortunately, Mark, you're so, starting off with something more exciting than the environmental at this point. So you know, you might have just uh, <laughs> might have just topped our uh, our conversation. <laughs> so don't take this the wrong way. But I've labeled this episode talking about environmental risk. Please listen anyway, because it's important, but so many people ignore it and don't understand it. But before we do that, tell people your origin story, a little bit about yourself and about the company and uh, how, how, where it's at today and what you do. Well, I appreciate it. And um, yeah, I mean, it's you kind of hit it on the head with the environmental piece. So I'm, I know we'll talk about that, you know, later on, but my background, I, um, I'm a native Rhode Island born uh, person, went to college in Massachusetts as an engineer, uh, moved to Connecticut and had various jobs with folks such as Travelers Insurance and Fleet Bank, 
and then Marsh McLennan, and then um, before I started ORMS with a company called EDR, which if um, anyone knows environmental have probably heard of that company, I did get an MBA in between there. And basically my career has always been working on the environmental side, but really trying to make it more understandable for lay, lay people and people who aren't necessarily environmental professionals or experts. And um, most of what I've done is trying to make it simpler. I, I will be, I'll start here and I'm sure we'll talk about it later. The environmental process um, in general, there's a lot of people that are excited about it. It's getting a lot of attention now with certain things in the, in the media and things as far as uh, sustainability and climate change. But my side of it has really been on the um, on the contaminated property and property level where um, we started, you know, I at one point worked for bank and then now started ORMS in 09, right at the uh, peak of the still is the last recession. And um, really was the intention of, of the company has always been and continues to be similar to what I've done in my whole career, which is make the process somewhat painless or at least less painful and really helping our lending clients. Um, and we really do focus on lenders. We work with any real, real estate professional, but what we found our niche in is working with lenders to help them manage the process. And um, you, you hit it on the head at the beginning. No, I, I say this, I'm a very cynical environmental person. Some people take it way too seriously. Our job is just to help banks and ultimately their borrowers um, just understand what the risks are so that they can make an educated decision, whether it be lending money or buying a piece of property. But for whatever reason, like you mentioned at the beginning, it's always something that seems to be looked at as either a necessary evil or something that they don't understand. So it can be a challenge to get people to do it. But we've uh, we've been doing this now for about 12 years. And we continue to grow. We work with credit unions and banks and SBA lenders and, and really anyone who needs help doing that. I consider you to be the perfect dinner guest. And the reason being is that you probably have the craziest stories from your business and what you see. Now, without naming names, let's shock people a little bit and tell. give me some of a, a crazy or a environmental horror story that, that you had to come across. Um, one of them happened when I worked at a bank where there was actually a bank purchase um, of another bank and there was due diligence done um, by due diligence, meaning um, there was a whole portfolio of work and they probably picked and choose certain ones to take out of. And one of the um, buildings that the bank actually owned either was or wasn't looked at, but it was taken on as collateral or as part of the, of the deal. And I literally just had lunch with a former colleague of mine from that bank that I worked with over 20 years ago. And he's working for a private consulting firm and continues to work on a piece of property that came over as part of that, of that project. And it's, there has been at least 10 to $15 million probably spent on that one piece of property that was not factored in. Um, it wasn't something that anyone really knew about, but it's kept a lot of people busy. Um, that's probably the most dramatic financially. I would say that the ones that really, and there's many of these, unfortunately, there's just a lot of situations that, and, and this is always a concern. It's not, the lender usually has to be the bearer of bad news, but many times people will make cash purchases because they have a deal that's so good and they won't do any kind of environmental due diligence. And early on when I started doing this, there was one that had bought several gas stations 
I, apparently at a very good price because it was during the recession and I was so excited that they were going to buy it. And then in two years from then go get a loan and build out a, you know, a subway and a different, a uh, couple different retail facilities. And then they realized that the tanks had been in the ground for about 50 years and that there had been a dry cleaner before that. So needless to say, the bank didn't get involved in it at that point, but those, uh, the borrowers or the potential borrowers, did end up having to deal with that. And I'm sure are still continuing to deal with that issue, you know, to this day. But um, I honestly, it's one of the challenges with what the environmental process shows and does. And Mark, you know, this, we've talked about this. Um, there's not as many awful stories, I'll say um, like, and, and everyone always jokes about the love canal stories, because if there were, it would probably be a little easier to explain the importance of what we do. A lot we deal with is the unknown or the potential or things you find out afterwards, but it's, it's, it's not as apparent. And I think you know that as well. It's, I always describe it, what you do, you are more of a plane crash situation than a car accident situation. People expect to have some financial difficulties and not pay their loan. Owners get sick nobody's expecting to find out that they have to plow millions of dollars into a property to fix it. It's a plane crash situation where if you hit the lottery and you have this property and didn't do what you do, you're in trouble. And and I've been in countless loan committees, meetings with people, and when they talk about risk, this just doesn't come up. No, nobody, nobody says, I want to get in the commercial lending. I want a portfolio and I want it to be environmentally safe and I want it to be environmentally clean. Why do you think that it's more towards the bottom of the risk when it's something that's relatively easy to mitigate on the front end? And why should this people don't need to live their life around environmental risk in lending, but they need to be aware of it and know what's going on. Why do you think it tends to be more at the bottom? Um, I think there's a lot of uh, confusion or potential even, you know, for lack of a better term, ignorance about what it really is. Um, I, I would say that, you know, you and I'm sure many of the folks listening are credit union um, from credit unions who specialize probably more in small businesses than not. Um, I think the variation of expertise varies based on what type of borrower you have. The higher end borrowers who are doing million dollar, you know, multi-million dollar developments and things like that, they tend to take it as part of the overall solution. Whereas the majority of the folks we work with are smaller mid-sized banks who really do specialize in small businesses and small business transactions. Those people aren't typically environmental experts. In fact, they don't even, they're not real estate experts. They're typically buying a piece of property to run their business and are really just trying to save rent money by buying a piece of property, but they don't necessarily see it as an asset that is marketable or may need to be sold. And a lot of lenders, honestly, are in the same boat. It's just, it's one of those things where I think people have not been super burned on, but to your point, the relative cost versus the risk that's involved is, um, is pretty low, and I also think there's some some people out there, and, and I'm you know I, this is part of what we do for business. Some folks that do environmental work sort of treat it like they're the police to some degree, and they'll come back and 
sort of tell you how awful everything could be. And, and, it, and it's, it could be accurate, but they're looking at it from worst case scenario. And I think there's been a, a sort of a lack of risk management in how this is all treated and really just understanding what you're getting into. Because what we tell our clients typically are like, we don't care how you proceed with a loan. I mean, if you want to take on a loan that's got environmental risk on it, that's up to you. And you should definitely consider that. Um, we're just, we just don't understand how you can do that without understanding what the risks are to begin with. And I think that's been something and, and, and something that's been difficult because people have either chosen not to take the time to do it or think they know what's there and they use, and they kind of, they don't really understand the risk. Yeah, it's almost similar to title insurance. I can't tell you how many people complain about, oh, title insurance is a scam. I can't believe they make me pay for title insurance. I, you know, it costs a fortune. It's just the attorney sticking money in their pocket. But if you've ever had anybody who actually had to deal with a title insurance claim, it's they they would never do without it. They, you know, they, it, it, it's valuable, but relatively to the cost of the project, it's pretty cheap. Yeah. You know, and you, you mentioned lenders kind of say, ah, you know, that's okay. Now with the SBA, it's a little bit different story because is, isn't that world a little bit tighter regulated about what you have to do and ha can't do or need to do? Yeah, yeah, that's actually a good point. And uh, we kind of use the SBA. So the SBA, um, is the only organization that, and it's not a regulatory agency, obviously, but they've actually created an environmental policy that they require for their real estate lending. And it's um, it's a two-tiered program where you could, you do a phase one, and I can explain what a phase one is for if anyone doesn't know. But um, so a phase one is kind of always been the standard in the industry as far as how you do environmental due diligence. And it's become the standard of care, for lack of a better term, for for projects, but there's other ways that you can manage risk through uh, using data and you know various other components that are cheaper. And the SBA actually came out with a program. It's it's their uh, their term is a record search with risk assessment. But it's for a lot of folks that do lending, it's a desktop review um, where you don't actually visit the property. You do a lot of research that you would do for a phase one, but you don't have to set foot on property. And that's a much cheaper option which sometimes can, and it's done based on risk. So it's it's based on NAICS codes. And if it's a high risk NAICS code, you do a phase one. And if it's a low risk, you can use this RSRA product. The challenge in the industry, in my opinion, is if folks like the NCUA or the FDIC or, or OCC would just dictate to lenders something similar, um, as much as the lenders don't wanna be told what to do per se by regulators, it would really make the process easier because everyone would have the same rules and follow the same direction rather than, I mean, unfortunately, and Mark, you've seen this, I'm sure. And I mean, all my, all everyone we work with sees it. Sometimes the environmental cost, whether it's be $500 or $2,000 can be the negotiating point between getting a deal and not getting a deal. And I don't think that's what any regulator would like to see in the grand scheme of things. It's just that they haven't really decided how to get it done. And it's created you know, some confusion and also you can be ignorant to it. And then a lot of times the, the regulators aren't even asking questions about it. So it makes it really challenging. Whereas the SBA, to your point, they make it clear. And if you don't do it right, you risk losing your guarantee. And we have a big part of our business that's been built upon that because there, there, is, a, there is a pain point if you do not do things correctly, including on the environmental side. 
I remember when I was a rookie fresh face lender, there was, you know, the, the veteran people, the management, it was, they, you had the borrowers fill out a questionnaire, uh, which to me isn't worth the paper it's written on at times. And if it was on this list of business, gas station, dry cleaner, you got a phase one or you did nothing. But it seems like there's a lot more out there in the industry today. Walk me through from from maybe the simplest, easiest, cost effective, and, and kind of what are the different tiers up a little bit of types of reports out there? Um, well, you mentioned environmental questionnaire. I mean, that's been one that I used to, when I was at the bank, I used to joke with too, because I mean, you have the people that fill out the questionnaire are typically either a lender, a borrower, or a seller, and all three of them, the lender doesn't have really any knowledge of the property, the borrower doesn't often, and the seller is not going to tell you what's really, what possibly is really there in some cases. It's as good as when we go to the airport and they ask me if the suitcase has been with me the entire time. Yes, exactly. of course it has. Yes. Yeah. If it wasn't, I'm not going to tell you. So. <laughs> the SBA does have a clause in their questionnaire, which requires the seller to do it, to try to give it some teeth. But for the most part, yeah, that's the, that's the old and tried and true. And it's, it was useless. I mean, it still kind of is, but it's so, so then, you know, with in the last 15 years or so, there's been a lot more data generated and some of the data companies, including my former company and many of the others have started to, um, they just have a lot of data available. And a lot of properties have had phase ones done over the past, or have had environmental due diligence through their various iterations of, of sales. So you may have former information. So the next one, I would, we call it an Enviro flash. It's really just a database report, very low level, um, due diligence, but it's a reporting of public records from the state and the federal government where if someone had a spill or if someone registered a tank or used to have a property, a a building that had a concern, it would have been reported to the DEP or whatever it's called in your state and uh, or the federal government. And that will tell you kind of a look-see of whether there's anything major there. Yeah, Derek, correct me if I'm wrong. Those, those, I think, are very good at bad information, right? Is that fair? I would say that. Yeah, because if someone's hiding okay. something or didn't report something, you're never going to find that. You know, you don't know what hasn't been reported. So if you have a property owner who has been doing things that aren't crop, you know, proper, but hasn't told anyone about it, that won't show up. Um, so that's what we usually recommend. And honestly, we usually recommend the what, what's basically the RSRA level of due diligence. We call it a desktop review. It's also the RSRA for SBA loans. That includes what I just mentioned, plus historical information. So things such as city directories, which would tell you what was there in 1950. Um, fire insurance maps were used originally in the insurance industry to, to dictate whether there was fire risks on a piece of property and have become very valuable for environmental information because they will note tanks and they'll note former operations and dry cleaners that might have been there in the 40s when no one re- realizes they were there. Um, and then also like aerial photographs and things like that. So that's the next tier up. Um, and then, and that gives you a lot of information. Once again, it's mo- that, that one there gives you almost all the information data that's being pulled for a, a full phase one. And then you go to a phase one or a transaction screen, which is kind of a light version of a phase one. That includes an environmental professional physically setting foot on the site, taking pictures, looking around, seeing if there's any old tank pipes that might be in the ground, seeing if there's any monitoring wells, things like that to kind of give them an indication of whether there might have been environmental risk. So those are the three components of that. Or we see a lot of times is also 
there's information available from pro from prior work or from prior transactions that still has usefulness as well. And we will help review. I mean, that's that's basically what we do. Our company is unique in that we don't do phase ones and phase twos. We purely work as an outsourced environmental department for our lenders that we work with. And we don't have, and I joke about this because I've got lots of friends in the industry, but there's generally a, th a thought process that you know, a phase one or some sort of environmental, if they find more work to do, and then they give you a proposal to do it, that there might be some conflict of interest. Um, I think most folks that we, you know, that we work with are not going down that path per se, but we might, I'd be lying if I said we don't, you know, openly discuss that we don't do that. To your point earlier, Mark, it's a risk management thing. So you really want to make sure that you just look for what the risk management tools are and, and dictate it based on the risk at the property. And, and I think in case I forget at the end, the one thing I will say is we do all this for lenders. The borrowers at the end of the day, I believe, are always the one that benefit, I would say, even more than the banks or the credit unions we work with. Because if you do one bad deal and it's not the plane crash, you probably will, you know, someone's going to be upset about it. And obviously, that won't be the best thing for your portfolio. But you'll probably move on and just, you know, write it off and move on. If you're if you own a $300,000 property and it's got a $150,000 environmental problem on it, you're probably going to keep paying your loan off, but you're going to have a piece of property that's not worth anything like you thought it would be. So I find the lenders to be the best deliverers or, or stewards of what we do, not because it's a pain, but just to try to help them make sure that their property is okay before they buy a piece of property. Good summary. What's the hot button topics, anything new going on in the environmental business that people should be aware about? You know, because because I think people, you know, when they establish their, they, they set their environmental policy and then it it is not something that is regularly updated. Uh, what are new things that people should be considering or looking at any or or uh, anything going on in your world? Well, I think there's some, so I always joke that, you know, what we work on is typically historic information. So a lot of the stuff we're working on are old and, and people will be like, oh, you're, you're trying to clean up the world. I'm like, well, you know, I am, but I also, you know, if it gets too clean too quick, you know, I have a bunch of years before I want to retire, so it won't work out as well for me. But in general, the hot buttons right now are things that are either, the one thing everyone's talking about, as I, I think I mentioned at the beginning, is like the ESG, um, where banks and credit unions and private companies and everything else are trying to figure out how they can be, you know, carbon neutral and all these other things that everyone likes to talk about. But I would say that the ESG conversation um, is kind of like cryptocurrency. Everyone likes to talk about it because it sounds cool, but I don't think 90% of the people out there even understand what it means. It's just kind of a cool topic to discuss. So I, that's a big topic. There's other like chemicals right now that are being talked about. There's, and I'm not gonna even pronounce the name of it, but that PFAS is a term that's being thrown around a lot that the government's very actively trying to find ways to to, to, you know, to capture and figure it all out. And that's basically, it's very ubiquitous. It's a type of chemical that was used in like TFAL and nonstick cookware, and it's used in uh, fire suppression um, foam and things along those lines. That's getting a lot of, of uh, issues. If, if you're going down to the basics of building an environmental policy for a bank or a credit union, I would say that it's keeping it simple right now is the best way to do it. I think what's happens, and, and you've probably seen this, and I'm sure many of you that are listening have seen this. I very often see an environmental policy, and I had to put one together and revise it when I worked at, I mean, at Fleet Bank 20 years ago, which ironically, the industry hasn't really changed much since then. It's We're doing the same things with banks now that we were in and credit unions then that we were then. But they're 
they make it so long and, and arduous that no one ever reads it. And what we found was that the procedures was like a checklist or a, uh, or a matrix, I'll say, which was a very simple option of if you have this type of property that, at this value, then do this type of due diligence. So I think the, the hot buttons right now are how do you get an easy to use policy that everyone in the bank can, can understand? Because the biggest challenge that we find in the environmental side of things, if it isn't a god awful, you know, former dry cleaner, gas station, you know, uh, metal plating facility, is most environmental issues are manageable if you have the time to manage them and you're not under the gun. So I think the key is, is to get as much information out front as quickly as possible. And, and what we find is by having a simple, using like a very tiered approach, like we were talking about earlier, using not just phase ones, but different levels of due diligence, that it can help make people understand it and really be able to communicate that with their clients, with your clients. And, um, and then the last thing I'll say, and it's kind of off, is the one thing that continues to come up in the last seven or eight years, which if you've read our phase one recently, is vapor intrusion and vapor risk, which sort of emerged in the early 2000s. 13, 14 timeframe. Um, typically, environmental concerns were, were related to, you know, dirt that a kid may eat or water that people may drink, and they really didn't address the vapor side. So they started to look for vapor intrusion, the term vapor intrusion, which basically means if you're sitting in a building and there's contamination under your property, you used to be able to say, all right, there's a, there's a floor underneath us, I'm being protected. Well, now there, you have to evaluate whether or not there could be a risk of inhalation or something like that that might make you sick. It's an interesting business and one that we need to uh, be on top of. And let's wrap things up. Uh, give give me a little bit of a success story that you had about uh, your, the business and tell people where they can get in touch with you uh, if they want to talk environmental risk. Okay, well, I appreciate it. I, um, I think actually probably our best success story, we've had many over the years where we've helped banks sort of pull deals. And we do this with the SBA a lot where we help them manage their risk. Because the SBA is such a difficult process, we've gotten to know really well the folks at the SBA on the environmental side to be able to help our clients get deals done that maybe wouldn't get done. And, and if you don't get the environmental done correctly, you, you can't get a loan from the SBA um, in a lot of programs. And kind of one of the, I guess, the best representative representation of what we've been doing um, just recently, actually, just a few weeks ago, you know, Orms received a, um, a an award from the Connecticut Small Business Administration as a financial champion of the year, which typically is a lender that gets it who is working in the SBA space to try to help borrowers get money. And we were recognized, you know, and I joked, I gave a short, well, I never give a short speech, but it was supposed to be a short speech about when we won our uh, won the award. And it's just interesting to see an environmental person because I, I am the most self-deprecating environmental person there is and probably that does this. And I understand that it's a pain and that people don't like doing it. I also understand, Mark, what you mentioned. I and mean, you and I have had this conversation for years that we've known each other. It is important. It needs to be done. Um, it doesn't have to be presented like it's the most important thing. It just is, it, it is a checkbox. And I, we've acknowledged that it's a checkbox, but it's an important one. So the, the financial champion award we got was really the best recognition I could think of because it wasn't done by other environmental people. It wasn't like, you know, a bunch of us nerds trying to figure out, you know, you're better than we are. It was really an, an indication that we are a key component of the lending process, not the environmental process. And we present that a lot, and there's several of my teammates uh, here on, at, uh, at ORMS who have to remind me sometimes when things get a little crazy 
especially on the SBA side, but really in general, is that by us doing our job well and making it easy to work with and figuring out what this stuff means and then ultimately getting an SBA approval or any other type of approval, we're ultimately helping small businesses get loans to do what I guess we talk about all the time and you can't turn the media on anymore without hearing about the small businesses is really letting them try to push forward on their dreams. So it it sounds a little corny at times when we talk like that, but I think that was a recognition of, you know, we are a piece of the puzzle. We're not the, you know, I'll say this over and over again. Sometimes it's almost exhausting, but it's, we are a necessary evil that has a very good end story. If you understand what we're doing and we have such, we really aim to have really good relationships with the people we work for and with that we do like to be a partner with them. And for those people who've ever worked at a larger bank, you know, we are very similar to a retex group or something like that, that those larger banks have, except we, uh, every deal we have, we have to kind of show what we, you know, work with our customers and get them what they need. So that would, that would be the best example. It just happened, like I said, within the last month, which was pretty exciting for our whole organization. As far as my contact information, my name again, is Derek Izovsky. My email is D-E-Z as in zebra, O-V as in Victor, S-K-I at orms.com. And I appreciate you mentioning it is orms. It's, I'm an engineer, so I named this. I didn't come up with a cute name like, uh, um, you know, like New Direction Lending or anything like that. I came up with <laughs> exactly what we do. But I, his intention was always the first asset I had as a company was buying the domain name orms.com. So I had to use the, uh, get those letters going. But, um, and then my phone number is 860-838-5388. And just, just a one last thing is, you know, I'm in Connecticut. We have people all over the country and work with credit unions and other lenders, you know, from coast to coast, large and small banks and things like that. So just, if you have any questions, you, know, you can look at our website as well, but you know, I do appreciate you having me on Mark. Well, Derek, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we appreciate it. Hopefully, uh, if people have any f- detailed questions, they give you a ring. And thank you for listening. We're on a bi-weekly schedule. Every two weeks, we drop a new episode. And please subscribe on your favorite podcast channel. Wherever you listen to your podcast, you can connect with me at markritter.com or connect with me on LinkedIn. And thank you. Have a great day and talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Credit Union Conversations podcast. Have a question? Visit markwitter.com for more information.